Welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. Today's guest is Heather Grish. She is the author of The Ayurvedic Guide to Fertility, a new book being released just this week. She is a board-certified Ayurvedic practitioner. She bridges the worlds of conventional and alternative medicine to help women and men heal their physical and emotional lives. She is also the board of directors for the National Ayurvedic Medical Association and has consulted with all kinds of people, including doctors and governments and insurance companies. She takes private consultations and lives within the San Francisco Bay Area. And we had an amazing conversation. I have to tell you guys that we had a beautiful interlock speaking about spirituality, how to apply Ayurvedic practices and yogic practices to your life, and how to really handle what's going on right now and the pressure of these times. We talk about coincidences and synchronicities and spirit working um, to help us all out. I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Please go buy um, Heather's book. It's available on Amazon and um, I believe Barnes and Noble, and it's called The Ayurvedic Guide to Fertility. If you want more information on my work, please go to www.mysticalmotherhood.com. You can reach out to me if you need a private consultation or you're interested in either of my books, Mystical Motherhood and Fertile. They're both available through the website and through Amazon printed under Pritam Atma. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, leave a rating. It really, really helps us. If you want to reach Heather, please read the notes. She is so deep, so profound, so intentional, and so connected. And she creates a very, very calm energy that is really, really, really apparent through this podcast. I hope you enjoy and get a lot of a wonderful information today to help you through these really challenging times on the planet. Hi, I'm Heather Grish, and I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner. I'm the author of the Ayurvedic Guide to Fertility. And I'm very excited to be here today and talk about my book and whatever else for Tom wants to talk about today. Awesome. So welcome, welcome. This I read your book. It's amazing. It has a lot of an amazing, um, amazing content in it. But I specifically want to get into what women, my listeners are typically mothers or women that are in the process of awakening. And so the there maybe are going through transformation and when they find my work or ready to take different steps in their lives to feel better. And there's I want to know, first off in your book, you talk about the physiological like physiological assessments we can do to really assess our health. I would love you to go into that so we can look at how do we start with Ayurveda? You know, what, like if I were going to use Ayurvedic medicine in my life, mm-hmm. you know, how do I do a first assessment? And then how would I prepare for uh, pregnancy with it? Like a few things. I know that's a really broad topic, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Ayurveda is—it's a—it's definitely a very tangible art and science. You know, it's—it's it's not quite like energy medicine. It's not quite as woo. Um, it's a little more in the physical realm, but it connects to the woo, obviously. And very simple things. When we started Ayurveda school, we were all required to take logs and journals of what we ate every day when we pooped what it looked like when we peed what it looked like what was going on with our periods what it looked like um what it (laughs) 
felt like, what it smelled, everything. Um, and, you know, t- taking a very detailed inventory of everything that comes in of you and everything that comes out of you, right? So your food comes into you, your sensory inputs come into you, uh, you know, light, sound, whatever aromatherapy products you're using, like everything's coming into you and then things come out of you. So information comes into you, you might speak something about it later or the digestive tract, you know, shows you later when you poop something out, you know, what it, what it's doing to you. So your body gives you all of this really great data to say, well, is this person healthy? And I think what's tricky about Ayurveda, and I'll explain it in very brief, like sort of high level for people who aren't uh, familiar with it, is that it's based on the premise that when you, when you're in line with your initial nature, then you're going to be your healthiest. So what that means when you know you're in line with your initial nature is when your body is functioning properly and the way that you look for proper functioning is through the uh, humors in your body, the physical tissues themselves, how they're forming um, the you know, how things are digesting, obviously how you feel physically, um, even your, even your emotions, like when you cry and you, your brain says, don't cry. It's not okay for you to cry right here in front of these people or be a big girl, put your big girl pants on or whatever it is. And then you don't cry and those, that wet stuff doesn't come out of your eyes and it gets stuck right here that's something real that's happening. That's happening to you. Oh, like when you feel it in your neck and you, you're kind of regurgitating the motion. That's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of even like thyroid issues with people, there's this like holding thing in the throat that happens. And so what's what gets trapped the fluid gets trapped there because when you cry it's fluids that are moving it's energy it's blood all these things are shifting physiologically physically in your body even though you feel the emotion of it you feel the energy of it and all these things there's an actual mechanism taking place and if your brain your thoughts come in and say no and because of your conditioning don't do that that's a natural urge once the urge to cry comes up that's a natural urge to let it pass you know, you, you don't want to trap it. If you trap it, it'll hurt you in the same way that if you get angry, you know, and you feel that rage inside and, and you can't, you have nowhere to express it, whether, you know, screaming or whatever. If you, you know, if you scream the angry energy, you might end up with a sore throat. I've had that happen, <laughs> mm. but you know, you have to let the energy pass, which is why it's great to have a, a creative passion in your life to be able to do that. So if you notice that things are out of balance, like how do you, how can you tell? Well, if your skin is dry, that's an example of one type of imbalance in Ayurveda. That would be an example of a vata imbalance. So your skin is going to get dry when you're in the dry season, when you're in a winter season where you're in lots of heat indoors and then it's cold outside and maybe snowy and things like that. Um, so vata is a is an energy of movement. And when there's too much movement, then it destroys things. And, um, 
Vata literally means that which moves. Mm. So when it, when it moves things, it can, it's great. We want to be moved. We want energy. We want, right. But we, it has to be in the appropriate amounts because if it's not in the appropriate amounts, it's going to hurt our body, even if it's, so it's all contextual, right. That Vata energy. So that's the air and the space elements. And then uh, another example would be when you are, you have an inflammation process going on, any inflammatory response in your body, whether it's an autoimmune condition, whether you've got a fever or anything that's sort of affiliated with inflammation is a type of humoral imbalance that we refer to as a pitta imbalance in Ayurveda. And you could group a whole bunch of things under that. And pitta means that which cooks. Mm. So it's the humor of the body that they'll literally cook your tissues kind of like you can make ceviche with lemon or lime or one of those citrus fruits, right? Will cook your tissues. And that's an example, like say you eat a lot of citrus, lemon or lime, you might end up getting higher pitta and cooking your body and ending up with a lot of red skin issues or ridiculously heavy periods or however your sort of blood building manifests in your body based on your unique ways that you live your life and the environment around you. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third kind of category of imbalances are uh, growth and growth oriented. So they're overgrowths um, and and excess lubrication. So it's the water and the earth elements. And so you might see someone who's got really mucusy, you know, tons and spring allergies the body isn't just reacting, it's throwing so much mucus at it to protect those tissues that you just have boogers everywhere, you know? And, um, or women who have a lot of cervical mucus all the time where they can't even necessarily even tell when they're ovulating because they're just, their bodies are more wet. Right. Um, and then also that will, man- a kapha imbalance would manifest in something like a tumor. Now a tumor um Cancer, for example, is a, maybe a later stage disease process, but an earlier stage of, of a disease process on that axis would be like excess heaviness, earthiness, clogging, feeling of being clogged up, foggy. Um, because when you feel that way, there, there's a micro effect happening physically in your body. When you feel foggy, you probably are foggy in your body. There's that's, that's yeah. fascinating because I was just thinking about, so we're in this, you know, COVID time and we're all at home and there's days that I'm like, you know, I'm a perfect, I'm amazing. Even with, but even doing a practice every day and like very, you know, yoga and everything I can possibly think of. There's some days I feel like I may be getting sick. I'm also in New York, I'm in Brooklyn, I'm in the middle of this intensity. Like it's very intense here with masks, very hard to get out. Everything's completely shut down at all levels. And so then there's some days I feel those kind of symptoms. So I may feel like I don't, I could do everything and my brain is just foggy, right? Or I may feel that uh, that my throat is getting sick, right? And I'm like, am I getting sick? Am I getting it, right? Or my menstrual cycle and I've heard other women recently has been very different. And for example, this, I did a lot of healing work last week and I started a week early. I'm always, I started on Mm. day 21. I'm always on day 28. Always. Yeah. 
And so there was, I was worried about that and it was scanty and then it was, it was long and then heavy and random. And so when that kind of things happen, because this level of stress, how can we handle that? Because it's happening to a lot of women, I think. Yeah, it's stress and it's also disrupted pattern. So it's, it makes complete sense that when you have a disrupted pattern in your life, that your menstrual cycle is going to get disrupted. I don't know why it happens, but whenever a woman comes to me with a period that is irregular in my practice, she's gone through a move. She broke up with a boyfriend. She switched her job. There's some big change that's happened to her. That's always, I always discover that when someone has had that. So you're going through, we are all going through this huge transition right now. And all those people that have those period tracking apps are probably going to be finding some very interesting data. Yeah. Mine was super interesting data. And I'm, I mean, so, so what do we do? What do we do when, I mean, cause like, for example, I'm going to give it, I'm not the only one cause I, everyone's talking about this is so I'm, I'm much more pain this month. I had, um, it was kind of scanty and spotty and then it was thicker and I typically don't have a, a cycle like that. So what can Ayurveda, how can we, yeah. You know, and I think it was because I personally did a lot of healing work the week before, and I think I might have shifted it myself beyond what... Tell me what that entails when, when you say healing work. What well, is like that? I mean? did like, for me, I do kundalini yoga. And so I, I work with, you know, healers within the, the lineage and some of the high teachers have a really a, a extreme power and, and energy coming through them. And so we may do some ancient meditations like up four to 16 hours minimum daily and that's so you're doing a meditation for meditations and yoga practices that are very ancient and so they shift something internally and externally actually and so I find or you know if I decide to do like a healing with somebody or with a healer sometimes when it's really profound and I let something big go I can see a shift in my cycle Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, even with the thing in the throat, whenever a fluid shifts, whenever anything shifts in your body, that the rest of the body also gets affected. So depending on where that shift happened. So there's a, there's a concept in Ayurveda uh, called a kavaigunya. And it means a weak and defective space in the body. And it's essentially where the traumas get stored. Mm, Okay. Okay. So it's where the traumas get stored. And when the traumas are stored, we don't always have access to them. And that's because oftentimes we will have both memory and tissue and matter surround them, right? Depending on what happened after that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it affects our awareness of a trauma. So when we go through something that is cleansing that uncovers that. And that can be done through physical cleansing. I would imagine that bringing a bunch of prana into the body could, you know, dislodge physical structures could. And and, I mean, it's an increase of prana in the body can create its own host of issues actually as well when you have too much prana. But once that, sort of weak and defective space, that kavaigunya, it's pretty, isn't it? it? Sort of makes you feel like the bad thing sounds really pretty. The kavaigunya, this really crappy thing that happened to me is actually really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And once you see it, 
And once it becomes exposed, it's very delicate because if you think the body is uh, essentially a collection of channels, blood goes through the veins and the arteries, you know, the reproductive tract is its own channel, the digestive tract is a channel, the marrow, the brain, the central nervous system, they're all little channels, the cerebrospinal fluid, the interstitial area, everything's these little channels, the sweat coming out of our pores, all that. When we have a protected area in our body, we've protected this kavagunya and it becomes uncovered. What's under it's it, it actually can unblock a channel because that whatever was covering it up, it has moved. So the awareness, the energy, the prana, and also new fluids, new bloods, things like that can, can move through the area. So it's almost like if you were to move a river, you would un, unblock a dam, the awareness, the love, so many things can come back into it. But you also have to know when an area, when a kavagunya becomes activated or exposed, it's really super vulnerable. And the reason it is, is because if it was blocked in the past, it's not been getting that area of the body where it's been stored is not getting its nutrients it's not, and, and because it's not getting the nutrients, because it was blocked for a very good reason to protect, right? Uh, then and the tissue has to essentially be rejuvenated and it doesn't happen in a day. It, it just happens through time. But you have to know that that's going on. You have to say, you know what? This is going to get better. It's exposed. It's super raw and I can see it, but I know it's going to get better because now this area is able to get the love that it needs. It's able to get the nutrients that it needs. It's no longer a blocked channel. How long does that usually, is it, I mean, I guess it varies per body or is it very per trauma or does it vary per area? I think it, all of those things, because, you know, cells of the body turn over at different rates, you know, depending on the type of tissue, uh, you know, blood and lymph and things like that will turn over in a matter of days. Muscle will take a little bit longer. The, you know, fat, maybe not as much as the muscle, but, you know, so the fat, then the muscle, then the marrow, then the reproductive, you know, the reproductive tissues get nourished last. But in Ayurveda, the reproductive tissues are um, the fluids that carry the seeds. So like the fluids that carry the sperm, and the egg, so the menstrual blood or the semen for the man. Um, and I know you wanted to talk about man, so maybe we can men. So oh, before we yeah. do that, could we yeah. could I ask a quick question about the healing of the trauma? Because I'm writing my next book on it, so it's very interesting. Totally, yeah. So I with healing, I believe you know it's internal world and then it's reflected of the external world and it's all hologram, right? So anybody who's coming into our life is just helping us heal some other wound that we haven't you know exposed. So as these internal process, you know, these spaces begin to heal, do you feel like people or external environments will come in after the fact or before the fact to help that space fill? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Could you give an example for people to understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. I think I can talk about it more in an energetic level, you know, than a physical level, but I can tell you that the most uh, effective changes that have happened in my life have happened when I've really had a big emotional blow up about something. You know, I have this story before I became an Ayurvedic practitioner, I worked in a corporate job and I was the head of product development for a health insurance company. I don't know if I told you that. Mm-mm. And uh, I had this meeting with my CEO and the whole executive team. And I was kind of frustrated because I was leading this project and they weren't putting resources on it. It had some really bad emotions going on about the situation. I felt like, oh, they just keep going out and golfing and they're not meeting with me enough. And I felt like I had a leadership team that was really checked out and not putting the resources where we needed them to be to do this project well. And I went into the meeting saying I was going to address that. And during that meeting, I my CEO got very upset with me and started to basically say that I needed to be fired. And my boss was a woman, there were three women in the room and then all the rest were men. And my boss was a woman, her boss was a woman because we were all up the sort of marketing chain which tends to be more female in the higher levels of corporations. So my boss started crying and I was like, oh my God, And I started crying because my boss started crying and it totally shifted the energy in the room. And all of a sudden, all the other executives, it was the entire executive team of the company. They all started jumping in and going, well, maybe Heather's right. And everybody started reacting with their own way of smoothing over the situation because it was so tense and so uncomfortable. And no one wanted to sit there and like watch all these people cry because it's painful. I mean, you know, you have a baby. If you hear a baby cry, it physically pains you. And in fact, the military uses baby cries to distract in operations. So, okay. So crying in and of itself is like this really, I think a huge power. Yeah. A lot of people don't know how to use it. Yeah, not like we should be walking around going like, oh my God, like making stuff up. But when you need to cry, you've got to let it happen because I will tell you what happened at the end of that meeting because of everybody's emotional reactions to my emotional or my boss's initial, or maybe it was my initial emotional reaction. We were, it was like the most productive meeting I'd ever had. The resources were given. We completed the project a year later. It was amazing. So that's just, that's a business example, I would say. Or I used to teach yoga. Here's another example. I used to teach yoga and I used to teach at this yoga studio that didn't get any students. And all my classes were just small. And I had one class that had one woman in it and I gave her a private yoga class. And I was like, I can't teach her anymore. There's no students coming in here. It's killing me. And I got so sad and I felt like crap about myself. And I walked up the street and I, with my low self-esteem, walked into the yoga studio that was in my neighborhood. And I was like crying when I walked in and they were all sitting in the front of the, of the office, having a meeting, all the owners. And they looked at me and somehow they knew who I was. They were like, Oh my God. Hi, what are you doing here? And then they were like, 
are you looking for a teaching job? Because, <laughs> and I was literally, I mean, it just happened. I left my class. I walked, you know, a mile from the studio to my house, to, to my neighborhood. And then I started crying, you know, as I'm walking and I'm tearing up and everybody felt that. And immediately, you know, I got this way more interesting, what I wanted, which was, you know, more bodies to. Well, you know, it's really cool. Cause it's sort of, like you had moments of where you felt you lacked worthiness and in that you acknowledged it and then you released it and then you received. Yes. And I think that on so many levels, that's what's happening to so many women is like aware, you know, like that, that level of worthiness for like receiving on like so many levels. I know that's what I think I, that was the cycle transfer that I went through and then the need to speak up for that. This is what I need you to do. And this is how it is. And if you cannot, you know, give that to me, then something else will come in. It's very yeah. neat. It's true. It will. And for me, I process things in poetry. Uh, before I wrote my book, I actually wrote a book of poetry, which I haven't published, but that essentially is what informed my book later. Yeah. And, you know, I have a, a way of understanding what's going on inside me through writing poetry um, and I would write about, you know, holes, like exactly what you're saying, holes being filled or, you know, I think everybody gets a very intuitive sense of that, but we don't have a, a word in our language that defines that. We don't have a way to, we don't have a tangible way of understanding it. I think we understand it energetically though. And I think that the Kavigunya maybe is the closest thing that I've found to that that physical manifestation. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. You said you listen, you wrote poetry, but I did this prayer called the Jopji for years. And the Jopji is a Sikh prayer. It takes about 34 minutes. I got down to a nine and I did it every day for years and years. And then I did these stairs in India, which changed my life to liberate my family. And then I find out later that the Jopji is often used for people that are, you know, uh, cultivating the sound current or cultivating a, a, a path to their words or, you know, um, I don't know if the what read the, but it made my brain think differently. It made the words jumble in a way that I could actually like put something on paper that was a different way of saying it. Mm. And so sometimes yeah. these prayers or these different ways of looking at words is just unjumbling the programming, I think, in our brains so that we can begin to articulate a healing process that's more profound. Into yeah. Words. It's like transcendence. Yeah. Transcendence is maybe nothing more than sort of jumping off of a track you've been stuck in. Right. And that's what the awakening part of, you know, what I talk about a lot with mystical motherhood is, it's like, it's, it's, it's not logical and it's not the healing process and the awakening process. None of it is logical. It's always just like, it's like the bird flying past the window that makes the sign that that's over, you know, like the other day I a relationship was ending and my sign for a relationship ending is always a dead bird. I came up with it myself. Well, actually it was always a flying bird, but then when they end, it's, they seem to die. And I, every time, and, and I was, I was just liked this man. I thought it was, you know, I'm, I'm on the path to finding conscious relationship. And, and then I saw the dead bird and I said, Oh, it's not him, but it's like amazing how, you know, everything begins to speak to us in the healing process, I even had a client the other day, she came to me and she said, you know, I woke up and there was a dead black cat in my backyard. Oh, wow. 
And I said, I mean, the impossibility of having a dead black cat in your backyard, right? I mean, like, and I said, and she goes, you wouldn't believe what I did the day before. I screamed and shouted and wrote a letter to my, my parents. And I was so angry. I circled it. I was so cathartic. I woke up the next morning and I said, you know, I, or I saw this dead cat. And so she's like, I'm calling you to talk about it. And I said, well, I told her about the dead birds. Mm. And I also explained that a lot of animals can give up their lives and their consciousness for us to receive a sign. And that's, they're okay with that. That That's very common. Yeah. It could have also been another animal that attacked the cat that dropped it off for her. Right. Like we don't even write, but you know, then immediately I tapped into her and I said, you must hate your cats you grew up with. And she said, yeah, my, my parents kept cats around and I'm, I'm allergic to them. My whole life I suffered for these dang cats and it's a representation. I said, of your mother. Uh, you know, so that's who she's really been working through is like, we're all working through our wounds, our, our biggest wounds right now. And so it's just a funny story of how the internal healing process and of her allergies, which is the kapha, right? Imbalance. Well, allergies in general. Yeah. Allergies in general are, are a pitta response because oh, it's, a pitta response. it's like okay. a reactivity. Anything that's reactive is pitta, but the excess mucus that would happen would be the kapha response. Be the kapha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just, you know, the dead cat, just a random dead cat, which she then offered up to a farm that would feed it to the animals. Oh. You know, just like, yes. I was like, well, at least you didn't put it in the garbage yeah. can, right? That's but I, unless you have anything else to say about that, I'd love to go I do want to, yeah, yeah I do want to, it's funny that you're bringing up the dead bird because when my last relationship ended yeah. prior to my partner, I think there was a dead bird involved in that. Tell well. me about it, please. You uncovered. Gosh, actually, I barely remember it. And then I had a friend remind me that that happened to me last time I had, like, I didn't even remember it. Yeah. And I had a friend remind me that it had happened to me when my last relationship had ended. And I don't have the memory of it. But so, she reminded you. Yeah. He, it was a male friend of mine who's okay. kind of, who kind of, a, I have an interesting relationship with, you know, this particular friend who uh, called me while I was pregnant and close to giving birth. And one day I, uh, I was, you know, was a couple weeks away from giving birth and I just started bleeding and I was like, oh my God, am I having the baby? Cause I started bleeding. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the bathroom, freaking out, calling my doctor. I'm like waiting on hold. And all of a sudden my friend texts me this, this same friend that always says the weird things to me. And he goes, is that the baby I hear coming? Mm -hmm. He just heard it. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, you're freaking me out. And then he goes, um, I said, how did you know? And he goes, well, I did play the angel Gabriel in a play in I don't know, school or something. And it's interesting because I ended up naming my kid Gabriel. That's God speaking, or he actually is an angel. Because sometimes I feel like some of the people we meet, I it's like, pay attention. Because you don't know who they are and why they're there and the who they're really in that body. And so I feel like we don't really honor sometimes the people that are speaking to us and the way that they might not even be fully aware sometimes of like, I think I had an experience one time uh, with a woman actually out in California and I left my body and I went to heaven 
And in have in these higher dimensional forms, she's held my hand and something came into the room and took me up. It was just like you would hear about in a Bible story or something like that. And I didn't know what was happening to me. She was like, these are the higher dimensions. You Now you're going to the seventh and I could see things and hear things. My third eye opened after that and I could begin to hear and see, which I hadn't ever had that skill before. Like I began to see people's, you know, th- patterns and and it was a that's when I began to be able to write these books on another level but I remember when she was holding my hand and these ascended masters were coming out of these different places in these visions towards me and I'm out of it just completely out of it gone for four hours and I looked opened my eyes to her and I said are you an ascended master as she's sitting in front of me and she goes yes I am sweetie and I'm here to help you and it was just as real as real could be and she's changed my whole life and she goes, but she wouldn't say that to anyone. She said, yes, I am, sweetie. And I'm here to help many people awaken. And then I just right, went right back into this other dimensional field, which changed the trajectory of my life. It's a, it's a random story I'm thinking about. But maybe that man was an angel. Yeah, I mean, he's still a very good friend of mine who I've actually been in a fight with for a while. So maybe I should <laughs> patch that up. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. angels can talk through them because sometimes people can be a vessel for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a language that our, our minds are so, I mean, me personally, I'm pretty logical. And I think that's why I love writing poetry is it somehow allows me to tap into a different way of processing information. It's kind of like when I listen to my favorite singers, their words don't make tangible sense but there's a poetry to them where they they almost seem disorganized mm-hmm. the languaging almost seems disorganized mm-hmm. and somehow in that disorganization it allows me the space to understand something that is outside of what I'm normally used to and patterned toward that's like a mantra it's a, it's like an organized chaos in a where you know a, a specific nod a specific sound current that hits you and maybe does something to your brain taking you from positive to negative or you know negative to positive or a memory or healing some trauma without you consciously being aware it's happening it's like a code language yeah totally and it's tricky because i think even with mantra i mean i taught yoga for a lot of years and any kind of practice it can be done in a way where it creates receptivity and it can be done in a way where it sort of dulls us in some way because it just becomes so habitual as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's always the art when you develop a practice is keeping that space of wonder with it. Yeah. And it reminds me of uh, when I was, you know, I mean, I didn't write about a lot of the stuff in the book. My book is more um, physically oriented, mm-hmm. I would say, and emotionally oriented than uh, what we're talking about. I would say it's probably a little bit uh, less mystical. And, you know, the what I was really interested in and what I'm still really interested in is how to give people who are stuck in the confines of their own reality, (laughs) 
how do you, and, and being, you know, a good soldier and a good girl and, you know, living life the way that they're, they think they're supposed to. And, you know, all the things that we do when we're younger to please people in our lives and get socially accepted or make money or get a good job or whatever, all those things that we do, how can I establish a sense of agency for people so that they feel the freedom to say, oh, it's okay for me to feel something different than I'm expected to. And it's okay for me to believe something different than I'm expected to. And it, this gives me permission to just be with what is there. Yeah, which is happening right now. Being with what is there, you know, being with this, what we call would be limited, which is actually not limited. It's actually super expansive at this point period on the planet it's like we we think it's limited but the expansive opportunity that's available right now is profound like the healing oh my gosh I mean I was think right before we started talking today I was I put some lip gloss on for you and I was sitting there thinking okay I remember being in the ashram and everything was the same every day because I spent some time in an ashram in India for a couple of weeks and everything was the same every day. It's kind of like with mantra, right? You just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat yeah, it, repeat it's called it. Jop, to jop. And that's actually the meaning of this whole world is just jop to repeat it. So when you have, when you've eliminated all the variables that the mind is tracking in the sensory world, then you, and you're fixed and you've got your, your dharana, your concentration and you go into that dhyana, that meditation, you move into samadhi and you get that transcendental state. That's when the deeper levels of our self come out. And, and it's hard to explain that because it's, is it deep down low in the body? Is it way high up in the cosmos? It's kind of like both at the same time. It's, it's the as above, so below, which is the alchemy I always talk about in my books. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's these like really repetitive practices. And just the fact that if your day feels like Groundhog Day, a lot of people get really frustrated with that, but it's because they just really haven't dropped into it. They're still grasping for the things that they had before. They're still grasping, you know, and they're not really locked in. And that's, you know, that's in general when people meditate and they sit down and they can't, you know, drop into the meditation. They notice their mind is racing. That's why, yeah, JOP is such a great practice for that. But even just reducing the level of variability in your life. And, you know, I, I moved to a town where I could... And I had a co-working space that was so close to me that I and I, my practice space, everything was in within walking distance. So I've been within walking distance of my practice where I used to teach yoga, all the places that I've worked. I've kept that so close just to reduce the level of variability that I have to deal with on a regular basis because I just find I drop in deeper when I eliminate commutes, when I eliminate flying on a plane if I don't have to, you know, when I can be in this 
more rigid structure, actually. That's, that's amazing because that's like what I've been working towards for many years is I had a very chaotic childhood. So then I married a, a man that we would constantly travel, constantly live all over, constantly move, you know, and I would follow that. Right. And, and enjoy it. And the kind of the chaos of that, and then leaving the marriage and actually like learning to not be in chaos really was difficult. Like learning not to travel, learning just to go to work and then come home from work and to make dinner. And then I saw how I was recreating the chaos in the relationships because I didn't know how to not be chaotic. I I, I was like everywhere. If I couldn't be in my work, if it couldn't be, if everything else was stable, where could I create that chaos? And then I was like, oh, let me find males that represent that. Right. So then it was the unwinding of the male chaos that I was actually attracting and creating. And so it's been such a beautiful process to see like, oh, just being ordinary, just being simple and just not moving. And so when this hit, I was like, oh, I have been prepping for this for two years just to be home and to be okay with that. I've been ready for it. Like, let me get grounded. Let me get here. And that in that, the, it's almost like you can go so deep into the darkness when in that darkness, you can find that light because there's is so much space. It's kind of like per, when Persephone goes, and who goes into the underworld? Inanna. Inanna, yeah. I don't know the story really well, but Inanna goes I into the either. underworld. Yeah. So that's but, what's happening yeah. right now. Inanna goes into the underworld and then falls apart, gets ripped apart or whatever, and gets put back together in order to come up again. I mean, I'll have to look it up, but... I want to share with you uh, something about Inanna. I actually have a really difficult time remembering the story as well. But I, when I was in Ayurveda school, it was at the time where, you know, I was in my mid thirties and I was thinking, cause I had a kid late. I had my child at, you know, just before I turned 40. And so while I was in Ayurveda school, I was thinking a lot about, am I going to be a mom? Because I had waited so long and Um, I just wasn't sure if it was going to happen. I was dating somebody that was like not father material at the time. And, but then I had started dating somebody who was pretty awesome and weird stuff started to happen once that, once that linkage was made. And I absolutely believe that there's something bigger at work here because he would come up behind me and just put his little finger behind my in my occiput like at the top of the neck where the head and the neck and I wrote about this point in my book the yogis call it mastaka granti and I can't remember the word for it in Chinese medicine but it's a marma point as well in Ayurveda he would just come stick his little finger in that little spot and I the boyfriend this is the boyfriend the new boyfriend when I first started dating him I was like is while I was in Ayurveda school because I did a master's program so I was there for a lot of years Mm-hmm. And so during these transition from one guy to the next guy that happened while I was there. And so he would come up behind me and put his finger in this spot. And I would say, what is he doing? Cause he had a PhD in biomedical science, totally not what I expected I would end up with, you know, total science nerdy person. And I was like, he's doing something to me. He knows something about that because I feel all my thoughts stop when he does that. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm at school 
And one of my classmates randomly comes up behind me and puts her finger in that spot. And then a couple of weeks later, I go to a yoga teacher, uh, a yoga workshop with Angela Farmer. Do you know her? Mm-hmm. So she's a, she studied with Iyengar and watched him smack her boyfriend with a yardstick. And then they sort of defected from Iyengar and she created a, a form of yoga that's more about reconnecting with the feminine. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I went to a workshop with her and she starts this workshop talking about Inanna and that spot. She oh. talks about that spot and she's talking about Inanna. What did she say? She told the story, but she said that that was the, the, the place where the primal was held and however you want to define primal, right? Whether it's the primal body animal or it's the primal pass through to generations, the generational consciousness. Um, so she was talking uh, basically about that. So we'll have to both look it up afterwards and you'll have to post the story for, for yeah. your readers <laughs> afterwards. Um, and yeah, it, I was like, whoa, everything lined up. This was all happening in the course of a month. I'd never thought about that spot in my body before. I didn't invite it. It just showed up as a gift for me to surrender. And to what? I don't know. I guess it was my kid. That was my call. And then how long did it take for your child to come? Uh, gosh. I had a dream about him in the beginning and he's blonde and you can look at me and go, she wouldn't have a blonde child, but he's bleach blonde, my kid. Mm -hmm. And so in this dream, I dreamed of a blonde baby and I handed him to my mother in the dream. And then I never thought anything about it because I said, I'm not going to have a blonde kid. I don't know whose kid that was. (laughs) And my partner was really not ready to have a child uh, for a long time. So while some women struggle with their own fertility issues, you know, their own body, their, you know, my big roadblock personally in getting to the point where I was ready to have a child was that my partner wasn't on board with it. And yet I knew he was the one, but he wasn't quite ready to do it. So it took about two, probably about two years for me to conceive after that till he was ready. Yeah. So that's kind of like what's happening, right? So what if, what if somebody's at home right now and they're in the same boat, they have to wait those two years to conceive or it's just not the right time. What can they use from your book in those two years? What did you do when you were, you know, what did you use Ayurvedically to change yourself and what worked for you yeah. from the book and then also for your husband? Yeah. So I was really focused on being as healthy as possible before I had a child. So because I was studying Ayurveda, I was really interested in just optimizing my health in general. And I had issues with my menstrual cycles at the time. So I was working with my practitioner who lived in Nepal to do that. So I was learning how to regulate my cycles. I was learning how to, initially I did that with a lot of herbal medicine, Mm -hmm. which I do write about in the book. But then later I learned what it was about the herbs that was actually changing things in my body. 
And so I was able to eventually recreate the same effect without the drug Mm. um, later. So uh, that, you know, so I went through a lot of the things that you asked me at the beginning, how does a person know if they're healthy? I just did a lot of self-study and, you know, every month a woman gets a report card for how it went the month before, you know, every day you get, when you go to the bathroom multiple times a day, how did that go? You know, and you can start to see how things digest and process, uh, sleep will affect things when we exercise in relation to when we eat, things like that. So literally I just studied how my body worked and learned about nature, uh, learned about plants, learned about how we uh, plant seeds in the ground and how each plant needs a different environment to grow in and how, you know, how plants will, they, you know, so certain seeds will do well at certain times of the year Certain ones will do well at, uh, you know, certain um, climates. So every seed will grow in its most opportune time. And you can't know, like when you're thinking about having a baby yourself, you can't know, you can't say, okay, let me create, uh, maybe uh, you might disagree with this because I know you have some like interesting stuff you do here, but I don't. I have never spent energy on trying to design the baby. I've always tried to design myself. That's exactly uh, what it is. I guess. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's just how can you change yourself so that your frequency is higher? Yeah. And then you're more conscious about the baby, but I guess, I guess how you can say you could take it that way, the way I've been saying it, but it's about changing. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's the same outcome, right? You change the the environment and the space around something. Yeah. Yeah. The mother and the baby are one. Exactly. And you're, you can be totally selfish because you, you have to live in your body by yourself even before the baby comes you have to live in your body and you're going to have to live in your body when the baby's gone. Yeah. So you have to be completely selfish and just learn what do I need? What, what helps my body be the most healthy that it can be? Because, you know, we, we can sprout babies in all kinds of conditions because certain eggs and sperm that they like certain conditions and others like other conditions. That's why no two people are alike and no two babies are alike. We all like different environments that we do well in. And in Ayurveda, there's a little bit around the constitutional type that would dictate which bodies like which environments more. But your job isn't to cultivate that for anybody else. You know, you're not supposed to say, okay, I want to change me because I want that kind of baby. No, you know, it's like you just change you because you want to be amazing. Better person, yeah. Yeah, you just, you want to love your body, your life. You want to be happy and healthy and whole because that baby's going to come through you. It's going to go out in the world and it's going to go to college someday and (laughs) it's going to flow through you the way all energy flows through. And uh, you're, you're still left here. And if you want to live a long 
healthy life, you'll the the thing that you will learn to do is just take care of yourself well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because I just now, honestly, just recently understood what self-love was. And I had a dream, had a funny dream where I was, I was recognizing I didn't receive, like I didn't know how to receive. There's like, if you're opening your heart, which I talk about a lot on this podcast, how humanity is going through this heart opening process. Not only do we have to give, but we have to receive. And I find that I overcompensate by giving, right? And then I didn't know, I didn't even know what receiving looked like. Like I wouldn't know, like I just was learning, like receiving often is saying no. And just and just being alone, or is that the discomfort in that, or receiving your the 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 taking the time to receive the food that you cook for yourself because you read the book your book and it says to do that, and then you receive that food. It's just such a such an amazing concept. And I was like, I laid in bed and I was thinking, oh my god, that's self love. I didn't ever, I had never done it. I had given so much. It always had been about like, what can I produce next for somebody else, and even probably with my ego around that, you know, not even from a place of love at all times, thinking that I would know best or I could control or heal something when it's not me. Right. But then the self-love is like, I'm going to say no to that person and not, and not be with them. Or does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because even the heart is a channel, you know, the, the, the word for heart in Sanskrit is hridaya, which kind of sounds like rhythm, hridaya. Kriddhya, okay. Kriddhya. And there, it's, it's made up of three characters, and each of the characters in that word has its own meaning. So the first character means receives, and the second character means gives, and the third character means, and it just keeps doing it over and over and over and over again. So and it's so important right now. Like the receiving is just as important as the giving because you and it's like whatever you thought you you know if you were always the giver I almost think that this COVID environment has made us kind of look at I don't know with your partnership but like how like as women as powerful women you know that are doing so much we almost become intimidating to a lot of men I mean at least you know like you have so many degrees or you're doing this and you're and women are gonna the matriarchy and patriarchy is changing we're seeing it before our eyes patriarchy is falling and so as the matriarchy rises up and we have the answers that they don't have, and, but they have answers that we were never willing to hear, it's a very interesting dynamic that's actually, I feel it's happening with the relationships I have with the males in my life and it probably is happening at your home. But it's this learning of giving and receiving, of listening and of, through listening, through you know, taking advice and giving it and the vulnerability that the woman can have in front of the male that she may not have been, you know, typically our vulnerability comes in anger. Our vulnerability comes in p- p- pointing our fingers and, and saying you've done wrong. It's never just in like, Oh my God, I hurt so much. I need you to hold me. Oh, wow. I mean, it, so much of what you're saying resonates and yeah, I think that there's a more fluid definition of masculinity and femininity now and women have gotten into this uh like you're saying with the the patriarchy shifting uh women in order to get there for whatever reason we worked really hard we for whatever reason we did that you know i 
wanted a better life than I had growing up or you know, that's what it was for me. I wanted to live better than my parents did. I wanted to, you know, move across the country and go to California and buy a BMW or whatever the heck I did. So the, it's like a very, um, in young, you know, in the Chinese lineage, a very young sort of approach or a very rajasic in the yoga speak, right? That very rajasic way of being women have sort of for a long time shifted into that role because they were in a very different energetic space before the feminist movement. And the feminist movement created a new energetic space <laughs> that we're all in. And it's happened at a mass, a ma you know, macro level with women. And it's happening with each of us individually. And it, it becomes a crisis when we want to have a child because we have to tap back into that. Or when we want to have a, a close emotional, emotionally connected, we want to feel oxytocin. When we want to get into those states with people, we have to get vulnerable again. We can't be, you know, the Amazon women, we can't be that. I mean, and I get it because I was, you know, I was a competitive athlete and all kinds of stuff. So, but yeah, that the key is learning how to be that vulnerable, receptive person and that power. Oh my God, the power in crying as opposed to yelling at someone is like, oh, I feel sad. Like you're saying, like you did this wrong. You did this wrong. Let me yell at you. I'm mad at you versus. I'm really upset that you did that. And, you know, there's such a different energetic exchange that happens there. And it's, it has to do with heat and cold and transferring those kind of energies as well. And it's not just women because, you know, men have an energetic shift that has to take place for them too, because as we've evolved, they now have to learn how to evolve. You know, my partner, he has a, a, a company where he's been inventing something. So, and he's not, he hasn't been working since the sheltering. So me, you know, doing podcasts or meeting with clients or whatever, he's taken on the role, more of the role, the traditional parenting role right now. And that won't be like that forever. He's going to start working a lot and then I'll shift back into that more kind of traditional mommy role or whatever, but that's the way we've made it work where we just kind of are fluid. It's not easy though, because I think we're all used to the ways that it happened in our, you know, maybe our, our families, the way we grew up with our families. And if we liked how we grew up in our families, we maybe wanted to recreate that situation. If we didn't like how we grew up in our families, we wanted to do the complete opposite <laughs> of how that went down. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really, and I don't think it looks the same for everyone in terms of that, the roles and the energetic, um, the DNA of the couple, you know, I have a neighbor who, uh, a neighbor who was a stay at home dad his entire life. His wife was like a CEO. So it's just different for every couple. Um, but I am experiencing the shifts now, uh, at home but we're, I'm always experiencing the shifts because we have weird, um, we have weird jobs. Yeah. Um, with the stress, I know you talked about that in the book, just to finish up, what can women do with any like simple practices at home to reduce that stress using, you know, what do you have for us? Yeah. So I think understanding the specific type of stress that's happening is first 
most important because stress comes in many forms. So I would look at it, what is the type of imbalance that is going on? Because So for some women, they're going to feel things are moving too fast. There's a dispersion of energy. They're going in too many directions. Um, and we're all experiencing a certain level of uh, disruption right now because of the patterns changing, like what you noticed in your body changing. That will actually... Uh, probably within three months for most women, even out. That's what I found in my practice. So because it's a transition to a new state, and now we're going into a new state, it's not good to make a change so drastically. So in general, like that, that would be considered a vata imbalance in Ayurveda when you change something really super drastically. But when people have these big life shifts, they, as long as they create a new pattern, that, that becomes the new normal. The body relaxes and sinks back up in the moon, oriented with the moon, oriented in a slightly different position and gets used to it and functions well. Uh, so it, in these cases, it's just important to be establishing really beneficial routines for yourself understanding what's the right diet for me to eat this time of year, eating seasonally for your, your body type. Uh, are there certain herbs that would be beneficial for me to take right now while this transition is happening? Or do I just want to sort of wait it out and see if in the next couple of months, it just kind of works itself out because I have to understand that this is a, that transition season. That's one kind of category. And then there's a, the second category would be more of the pizza imbalance where there's a lot of anger, inflammation, flare-ups, things like that, uh, intensity, you know, women starting to get their periods uh, frequently and really bloody, you know, just super heavy. Um, and again, like I said, if some of that's due to the transition, but some of that's also, there's too much blood building in the body, right? So what are the things that build blood? Well, eating meat and eating certain, you know, salty, spicy, sour foods, certain tastes, which I do write about in the book, have different physiological effects on the body. So if you eat a bunch of sour foods, it's going to make you feel heavy because it's making you salivate and all that saliva travels down and you can feel how it just moves the energy down in the body with gravity, that excess water moving down. So that would be an example of understanding that pitta type and doing the pitta rebalancing. So like drinking mint tea, coriander, so certain herbs are really beneficial for that. And building these things into your daily routine, maybe for a month, and trying them out to sort of stabilize and not taking things forever because you don't want to take an herb forever. It loses its medicinal effect, but sometimes you do need something to ease you through a transition. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the kapha imbalances. I know a lot of people are putting weight on right now uh, because you know they're sitting at home. They're not moving as much. There's a heaviness, the lack of space, the lack of movement, even commuting changes that energy. You know, Just being in one space raises your kapha. And when that happens for people, they have to understand that their physical demand is lower than it was before. So they can't eat the same amount of food that they used to. 
they just, you know, and I do talk about fasting in the book and it's one of the things that I do a lot with clients and it's what I did a lot of actually before I, I conceived my child because I have a higher, I have very thick hair. I have kind of more of a kapha constitution. So, you know, understanding that if you're growing tissues really easily, you've got to take in a little bit less. You've got to use less resources from the environment. Your mm. body doesn't need them as much. So every person's going to be in a different situation now, though all of us are going through a transition, our patterns will probably become magnified. Yeah, because we have a pressurized system. Yeah, exactly. So how can we find you? Can you tell us um, how we can find you if somebody wants to work with you privately? Where can they get your book? What's your website? Okay. So first, uh, let me spell my name. My name is, first name's Heather. And my last name is G-R-Z as in zebra, Y-C as in Charlie, H, Heather Grish. And my website is heathergrish.com. And you can find information about me doing consultations with me, uh, doing my fertility, for fertility factors training program there about the book. Or you could buy the book, which is available on, the book is called The Ayurvedic Guide to Fertility. And it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and I think, bookshop and some local sellers might have it in your area as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much. That was amazing. I had a wonderful time. I felt a lot of really cool stuff come up. Yeah. 